0: Dear friends, let me invite you to open your Bibles, if you would, to uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Uh, This is our text for this morning, and I will read it in its entirety, 1 through 14, though, just so you'll know, we will particularly be dealing with verses 4 and 5, but I want you to understand the context. So let me read then we'll pray then we'll dig in ephesians 1 verse 1 paul an apostle of christ jesus by the will of god to the saints who are in ephesus and are faithful in christ jesus grace to you and peace from god our father and our lord jesus christ verse 3 blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in christ in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Beloved, let's pray, shall we? Father, as we think about this passage, it's probably one of my favorite in all of Scripture. It's the passage that you used to light my path. It's the passage that you have used to remind me, to remind many of us in this room this morning, that we are people of purpose and destiny, and that you are our Father in heaven. So, Father, This is so lofty, so grand, so magnificent. In this, we see the magnanimous nature of who you are. And I pray, Father, in order for us to understand these things, we need your Holy Spirit. Would you move and work in our lives in these ways? In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Dear friends, uh, as we dig now into this first chapter of the book of Ephesians, as I prayed just a moment ago, I I want to confess yet a second time, it's really one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Ephesians is one of my favorite books uh, in all of Scripture because in the book of Ephesians we have a compendium, we have a, um, a, a, a compilation, so to speak, of God's wisdom for us. When we read the book of Ephesians, we, we are let in on the very heart of God and what he has for us in light of his heart. And if you were to create a simple outline for this book, as Warren Wiersbe has in chapter one through, chapters 1 through 3, it would indicate that uh, these chapters deal with what has God done for us? And then in chapters 4 through 6, these chapters indicate what are we to do for God. Because we understand, isn't it true, that that the Lord uh, has called us to be men and women on mission. That the Father has brought redemption into our lives because He is actually creating a new man. He's actually creating a new humanity. And we are part of that creative movement. I think oftentimes in the 21st century, we privatize our spirituality. We think it's all about us. And in one degree, it is all about us because of the magnificent work that the Father is doing in our lives in an ongoing basis. But dear friends... I want us to look out far and beyond how we would view the gospel in ourselves. And I want us to begin to understand the very work of God in our lives because what is being talked about in Ephesians chapter 1 are God's eternal purposes for us. We are reading of God's sovereign decrees, His providence in our lives. And I want us to understand at the very outset that God's eternal purposes, His sovereign degrees, are actually being fulfilled through the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, as He is working in and through His church, visible and invisible, For the cause of establishing not just a new man, but for the cause of establishing actually a new humanity. A new humanity post-Revelation 1 that will experience the new heavens and the new earth. A new humanity post-Revelation 1 where we will see the face of God. We will know Him as He is. No more weeping, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. All the sad things of this life will become untrue. And God in this moment is working His sovereign decrees, His eternal purposes through His Son, through His Spirit, working in us through His church forever. The purpose of establishing a new man. He is working the gospel in our lives in a profound way that is bringing profound change. And when we begin to look at Ephesians chapter 1 in this manner, it begins to answer the questions for us why am I here and what am I to do? When I first came to faith in the university, this passage became for me a sea anchor that brought stability to my life. Do you know what a sea anchor is? It's an object that is dragged in water from the bow of a boat in order to keep the bow pointing into the waves. This passage became a sea anchor to me. So that I could keep my eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of my faith. I I didn't do it perfectly. But in God's kindness, none of us do it perfectly. But in God's kindness, we can do, we can keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus. In a powerful way, because we actually have the work of the Father, the work of the Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, even in these moments. And so by way of introduction this morning, as we're talking about the decrees of God, that in one sense sounds a little lofty and somewhat boring, I want you to know it's fundamental and life-giving, Because I want you to know that you have a Father in Heaven on this Father's Day. You have a Father in Heaven and He has a plan for your life. You have a Father in Heaven and He has a destiny for your life. And we read in Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, um, verse 9, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ As a plan. It goes without saying, and I know you will not believe me, God loves you by name. And we'll unpack that. God has a plan for your life individually, and we are going to unpack that. The same God who controls the sun is the same God that has his fingerprints upon your soul. And B.B. Warfield put it this way. A firm faith in the universal providence of God is the solution to every one of your problems if we could just begin to understand the work of the gospel in our lives, if we could begin to grasp faith expressing itself in love, if we could just get the hooks of our lives into the providence of God, the sovereignty of God. If the Holy Spirit would work in our lives in these ways, it would begin to wash through our anger. It would begin to be the answer to our despair. It would be the cure of our lust. The sovereignty of God would be greater in our lives than the power of gossip. And that's why this chapter, what we're dealing with this morning, is so very important and why I want us To move into this passage and to glean all that the Holy Spirit has for us in these moments, but I want you to share. I want to share with you what I have been praying for this week. You remember that passage in Luke 24, the road to Emmaus. Uh, two of the disciples come in contact with Jesus. This is post-cross, post-death, post-resurrection, pre-ascension. Jesus is on the road to Emmaus. And He's he's talking with them. He draws near to them. He's talking to them. And this is what they said. Did not our hearts burn within us? My heart burned. My heart caught a flame in 1973. 1973 as I under, began to understand these truths in this way, even though it was as infinitesimal as it was, my heart caught a flame. And my my prayer for you this week is that the Holy Spirit will do a work in our lives in this moment where your hearts will ignite with the fuel of the gospel. Two points. The first one is this. I want you to understand the magnitude and the magnanimous nature of the gospel. Now, we won't take time to read the scriptures. You can go back and look at those if you would. But I want you to begin to see and sense the magnitude, the magnanimous nature of the gospel because I want you to understand that whether you've been in the faith for 30 years, 30 days, 30 seconds, or if you come into the faith three days from now, that oftentimes, as I indicated a moment ago, we privatize the gospel and we make it all about ourselves and actually we begin to fall into the satanic trap that we actually contributed to our own salvation. But I want to remind you this morning, when you have come to faith, if you come to faith, as you have come to faith, what what actually happened in that moment in time. Your conversion was the work of the Trinity. Your conversion uh, is the work of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, working in, in God the Father's sovereign decrees, His eternal plans, to begin to bring the gospel in your life through His Son, through the means of the Holy Spirit so that we could begin to understand our sinfulness and His rescue. Who is the Trinity? Three persons in the Godhead. There are one God, three persons, same substance, equal in power and glory. That's another sermon for another day. But that when, when you came to faith, What was happening in that moment was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, their cumulative influence, cumulative ministry, their cumulative holiness, their cumulative righteousness, their cumulative wisdom, their cumulative love moving into your life. Beloved and bringing fundamental Christ-oriented gospel change. Do you understand that's what happened the moment that you came to faith? And dear friends, oftentimes we play with the gospel like a cat plays with catnip. We're just playing with it. This is the most fundamental, glorious thing that has happened in your life or will happen in your life. This side of heaven. And it's the work of the Trinity. Based upon God's sovereign decrees, based upon God's sovereign goodness and providence in our lives, this is what is happening in our lives. This is what has happened and this is what is happening. The Father decrees, the Son procures, the Spirit enables. You see, the Christian message It's a message for those who have done their best and have failed. The gospel is not a discussion, it's not a debate, but it is an announcement. It's an announcement of the good news. It's an announcement, as Jack Miller said at one point in time, cheer up, you're worse than you think. And dear friends, you'll never understand the gospel until you get to the point that you're much more worse than you could possibly dare imagine. But the other side of Dr. Miller's statement is this, cheer up, you're worse than you think, but cheer up, the gospel of God is greater than you ever dared imagine. I I wish that we could load a bus outside these doors and, and drive 55, down 55, and get on Highway 61, which runs parallel to the Mississippi River, I wish I could show you the kudzu in the delta, the kudzu that you probably have seen a thousand times. Because the kudzu in, in the delta, along all that luscious farmland, it is prevailing, it is, and it is rampant, it is seemingly omnipresent. That is an illustration of sin in your life. Your sin, apart from the work of Jesus, is like kudzu, it's prevailing, it's rampant. And I suppose there's a herbicide that can neutralize kudzu. I do know there's a gospel message that can neutralize sin. And there's only one gospel message that can do that. And that is the gospel message of Jesus. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but through me. And when we begin to understand this gospel announcement and we begin to understand our spiritual need and we begin to understand that the only contribution that I have made to my salvation is my sinfulness. And when we come to the point where we can finally begin to perceive that faith is a gift that has been given to us by the gracious, sovereign hand of God, and that when, that when God has given us this glorious gift of the gospel, it has come through the means of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one more time, the Father ordaining, the Son procuring, the Spirit enabling. All of that is being brought to bear upon us. then Romans 1 begins to play out in our lives. Where Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that who believes. And the truth of the matter is, beloved, many of us in this room, we're ashamed of the gospel. That's why we never share it. And that's because we've taken a consumeristic approach to the gospel. We want a fire insurance policy, not a way of life. Would you begin to believe, would I begin to believe, that in God's sovereign plan, his sovereign decrees, he is moving in our lives in this way through His means and the means of the Son and the means of the Spirit to create a new man. Secondly, I want you to keep your Bibles open and I want you to look at Ephesians 1, 3 through 3-6 because I want us to look at the first the Father's ministry of election and predestination in our lives. God the Father's ministry of election and predestination in our lives. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the, creation, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him, period, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace of which he has blessed us in the beloved. Dear ones, I I want us to begin to see what the Lord has done for us. I want you to look at this word in verse 4. He chose us. This word choosing is a word that refers to selection. The word predestination is the word that refers to plan, God's decrees. The word love refers to his love, his agape love for us. First, the word choose. You're not going to believe this. God chose you. He chose you by name. This word choose, it's a personal choosing. It's an intentional picking it's a holy selection. Our Father has chosen us, not generally, but specifically. He has set His heart upon us specifically. And He's, and, and before time ever began, before the book of Genesis was ever written, in the beginning, God, in that moment... God knew us, God loved us, God chose us. Why did he choose us? He chose us because he loved us. He chose us to be holy and blameless. There's actually an ethic to spirituality but I don't want you to miss that He chose you by name. Second Corinthians says this, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved of the Lord, because He chose you to be saved. I was a child, as a child, as a young boy, play was a gift for me. I loved capture the flag. I loved kick the can. I loved backyard football. Shirts off, football in the backyard, five, six, seven guys, let's do this. And I remember growing up that, you know, we'd all get together in my backyard and there's a bunch of friends and somebody would become captain of this team and somebody would become captain of that team and then they would start picking And they would start picking by name. And truth be known, as one who was seldom picked first, the others were picked because they were better athletes. I knew that. But they picked by name. Beloved, I I want you to begin to understand this remarkable truth. God has moved into your life by his sovereign decree and his sovereign love. And he has, if you are a believer this morning, he has picked you by name. He hasn't picked you based upon gifts and talents. He hasn't picked you based upon that you might be a successful businessman that can fund a missionary one day. He hasn't picked you because he thinks you're going to have some extraordinary gifts to give to the kingdom. No, he picked you because he loved you. Do you believe that? Is that not the some of the greatest news that you've ever heard? And if God has, in his sovereign decrees, has or has orchestrated this in this way, then what does that mean for your future? And what does that mean for my future? But notice notice also, it says, not only that he chose us, but in the last part of verse 4, in love, he predestined us. This word love, what does this word love mean? It's an, this is the love of a father for his child. Think about this on Father's Day. It's a, it's a word that means an unconditional love, a sacrificial love. When we think about this love, I want you to think about the quality of God's love for us and the quantity of God's love for us. His love for you was the motive for His selection of you. And His love for you was the motive for His predestination of you. And so, so what does that mean? And I want to say this and just as a parenthetical insertion here. If your hearts are welling up with pride right now, you're missing the point. Because your pride will be crushed by this theology. Humility will be ushered in upon these grand thoughts. But what does predestination mean? It means that God turned... Think he, Back up. Think back to the eternals of past time. Think back before this world was ever created. Think back before Genesis 1. Think back to that moment in the beginning, God. I actually believe in that moment. Do you? Think back as God is in the process of initiating His plan. Why is He doing this? Why the choosing? Why the predestination? Because He loved you. He knew you. He intentionally chose you. He elected you. He predestined you. He wanted you for Himself. He set His heart upon you to be holy and blameless. Let me illustrate that for you. I remember when Sally and I got married that for a period of years, it was just the two of us. Now there's 15 of us, with 16 on the way. And the twins this past week, Sally, Mary, Kate, they had a birthday. It's their 10-year-old birthday. And, and so over the course of the day, Hallie says to Sally and Mary Kate, um, where do you want to go for your birthday dinner? And much to my delight and Ford's delight, they said, they said Huey's. We were thrilled. And so we had a wonderful dinner at Huey's and presents were open and cakes were cut, and et cetera, et cetera. But here's my point. There came a point towards the end of dinner and Hallie took the chin of Sally and brought her in close and she took the chin of Mary Kate and brought her in close and she blessed them with a blessing and then she told them how much she loved them and that how much she cherishes them and beloved I share this illustration with you because in this passage, in this moment, you have a father in heaven that has grabbed you by the chin. He's bringing you in close and he's announcing a blessing upon you. And he's announcing to you he has loved you more than you can possibly imagine. The doctrine of election and the doctrine of predestination is kind of like hard candy. Uh, If you are on staff or if you're on staff or you're on third floor, uh, you will know that I'm always looking on third floor for a piece of candy somewhere. I love hard candy. And I love hard candy that has a soft center that's sweet. Sweet. Because I like to put that in my mouth and I like to roll it around and work down to that sweetness. Predestination is like hard candy. You got to put, it, you got to bring it into your life. You got to play with it. You got to listen to it. You got to read about it. You got to pray through it. You got to look at your own sin. You got to begin to see what grace is for the very first time. Because if you'll do that and you'll spend about the next 30 days or six months just contemplating the greatness of this theology and the thorough nature of his love, you will get down to the sweetness. The sweetness of the gospel. And your heart will begin to burn. For some in this room, your heart hadn't burned for a long time. For others in this room, your heart has never burned. For others, hearts are burning because this truth has ignited. It's ignited the gospel in our lives. One last thought. Turn to Romans chapter 8 and we'll stop. I'm taking this from that Baptist preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Romans 8, 28 through 30. Are you there? Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know that for all those who love God all things work together for good to for those who are called according to his purpose. Did you note the qualifier? We know that for those who love God, all things work together to good. You see, we take comfort in God's sovereign decrees. But notice, for those who are called according to his purpose. But in 29 and 30... This is called The Unbreakable Chain of Salvation. Eric Alexander preached on this passage about 25 years ago, and for me it was just life-changing. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among the brothers. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Six times the word he. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those whom He predestined, He called. Those whom He called, He justified. Those whom He justified, He also glorified. And brothers and sisters in Christ, what would I say to you in this moment but the words of Charles Haddon Spurgeon? There is no stopping this God. If He is in your life, He will have your, His will in your life. No matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, if you are called according to His purpose, all things will work together and He will have His way. And I don't know about for you, but when I preach that, my heart ignites. And it becomes a sea anchor for me that enables me to take my my eyes off of my little sinful self and get me out of my own self-centered world and to put my eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, to put my eyes upon him. And the promise he who began the work will bring it to completion in that final day. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we need you more than this culture, and we need you more than East Memphis. We need you more than anything. Let us readily confess the idols of our culture and the idols of self. And let us cling to you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.